Meanwhile, hi, this is Seb. And this is Marcus. Welcome back to Meanwhile. You know the gist by now. We talk about movies and TV shows and all of that. So today we're going to be talking about what makes a good TV show. Now, it's a very, very big topic. It's a difficult topic. Now, normally on our episodes, we like to have a script. We like to have a structure. We like to make it sound as if it was an essay or something, but also casual it up a little bit and make it sound like two friends having a chat. Now, today we wanted to make it even more like a coffee table conversation because it is such, I don't want to say abstract an idea, but it is very, it's like a conversation you would have with your friends. Like, yo, what actually makes a good TV show? And rather than us kind of writing our scripts and going into so much detail, we figured why not make this into an actual convent? Why not make it candid? Why not make it impromptu? So that's what we're doing. Um, and yeah, I'm quite excited for this one, Marcus. This is going to be fun. I mean, like Seb and I used to live together and this is kind of what we do all the time. Legit. We used to have this actual conversation all the time. Um, and we still don't have a clear answer if I'm completely honest. <laughs> but I so. think I think that's the beautiful thing because this is very much an opinion-driven mm-hmm. conversation we're about to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all you listeners out there, you'll, you'll have the same thought. You'll just be like, hmm, I agree with what he's saying, but here's how I'd see it. Mm. And I, I think in this conversation we're about to have, there is no right and there is mm-hmm. no wrong. Of course, of course. It is yeah. very much subjective and it will mm. differentiate on genre. Mm. Um, there will be exemptions. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure we're going to contradict the shit out of ourselves mm. because some True. things that work for some things work for some things and some mm-hmm. things that work for some things don't work for other things. Oh God, that sounds Many like something Confucius would say. <laughs> Confucius <laughs> once said... <laughs> But no, nah, I, I agree. I agree. Fair enough. And um, you know what? Without further ado, let's just jump into it. Let's just go ahead and say what makes a good TV show. So, all right. Normally, I would... Pr- okay, okay. I think there is a few things that are pretty much a given, which is a good script, a good char- good, good character development. And a good premise. These are like obviously givens, right? Like, uh, Mm -hmm. so like, okay, the first thing would be obviously you need to have a journey. You need to have like a character that's on a journey. It could be either an actual journey like Lord of the Rings or it could be a journey of self-discovery. Say, you know, Breaking Bad. Say, um, you know, Sopranos. Sopranos, exactly. Or like Bad of Brothers, they're going to, mm-hmm. you know, liberate France. Like there's an obvious clear like A to B. Um, and I think it's that that's obviously very important. I think you need to have that general pool and you need to have like a, a story that develops that allows for the audience to kind of be like, okay, I, I see, you know, where it's going. I see this person growing. Um but yeah, what 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 are your thoughts? Like, do, would you agree that you need to have that clear A to B? I I would agree, but I think there are exemptions. Mm-hmm, very true. I think shows like Sherlock, mm. it's it's not so much point A to point B, where you know, whereas Band of Brothers is very much. Uh, point but a then to point B. I, I would argue that there is a point A to point B where you need to solve the mystery, and that's the A to B. The beginning okay, of the, that's a good know, point. the beginning that's of the a good mystery, point. the setup of the mystery, and the solving of the mystery is point B. But I think you know I'm looking at Sherlock from a whole show point of view, mm-hmm. 
And episode by episode, yes, very much point A to point B. But if you try to describe Sherlock's point A to point B as when you look at it from a show perspective, I'd kind of struggle to be fair. No, I'd, I'd actually heavily debate that. I think like the, the main story that they're trying to tackle is the humanization of Sherlock and how at the mm. beginning of the show is pre-Watson days and at the end of the show is how much he has grown as a human being by being with uh watson and because he was with watson he gets to know mary etc etc and through his development through him you know becoming more human he learns more shit about himself such as having a secret sister which is kind of weird <sighs> but like so yeah i would argue that there is definitely an a to b of his general mm -hmm. the general arc of sherlock is about him becoming more relatable and to be honest, I've never thought of it that way. Um, <laughs> I always, <laughs> no, but I, I, this is why I, you know, I enjoy our conversations mm. because it always, we, we, you know, we tend to have the same perspective, mm. but sometimes we don't. Mm. And, you know, I, I think you actually have a point. But then again, and the next time I watch Sherlock, mm -hmm. I think I'll be looking at it. Then, the then again, of course, you can argue that at the very end, is he really that much different from the beginning? But I would definitely say yes. I would definitely say he does make There's character growth. Quite, for yeah. Sure. And and I think like that whole point A to point B, what I, what I like started this whole thing with is obviously there's like a clear, you know, like they have to, there's like a setup of something and they have to solve something. That's one version of the A to B. But I think one mm. thing that's very linked to it is also character development and growth of the character, which is why, you know, I said a good character is important. And I think with Sherlock, it's more of a character development A to B, as opposed to, say, you have to get from the Shire to Mordor. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. And I think, you know, just to go back, writing is the core of everything. Of course. If you don't have a good story, mm -hmm. if you don't have a good character, mm -hmm. like, What's the point of watching? I think, you know, things like production value are important. Mm -hmm. But if I have a really good story, mm -hmm. I can sacrifice production value. Mm. I can sacrifice a lot of things. You know, you need good acting. You need a good script. Mm. I mean, I I think Sopranos, in my opinion, is the perfect example. Mm. You know, David Chase writing it and everything mm -hmm. is perfect. Mm. The character of Tony is perfect. Mm. You know, you know point a to point b mm -hmm. you see his character development but you also see all the characters around him mm -hmm. develop as well and i think a lot of shows struggle with this because you know you have a main character and they'll develop but everyone around them doesn't sometimes i find that a bit difficult to navigate because mm -hmm. i'm like hmm, if our main character is growing so much or devolving because you look at breaking bad mm -hmm. heisenberg you could argue instead of developing He's yes developing as a character, but as a as a, human, yeah, <laughs> he's developing into this villain. You know, this crazy mm -hmm, villain. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think the the power of writing, mm. the power of creative writing, um, and depending on the show, straightforward writing kind of helps. And what I mean by straightforward writing is non convoluted. Mm. And this is a case by case because you have shows like Sherlock which can be very mind-boggling. Mm. 
but it works exactly. because it's Sherlock. Exactly. I think like convolution is definitely an issue that lots of movies and TV shows and stories in general can tend to, you know, meet this this issue. Um, I mean, you could definitely argue that there are bits in shows such as Game of Thrones that have so <sighs> many character names, so many plot lines that it might get to that point of convolution. Uh, I think that's always going to be, you know, a very difficult thing, especially for shows that have a very big scale, which is why, like, sometimes, you know, a simple premise works. I mean, look at sitcoms, look at, you know, comedies mm -hmm. and stuff. It's often, you know, very simple. And uh, in fact, you know, most of these shows um, have like a case of the week structure. So um, other than sitcoms, we're looking at shows like House, Monk, um csi or any of like the crime ones are usually yeah. a you know case of the week uh structure and it works because you know it's kind of something where you don't need to tune in every episode and you can watch it at any point and you'll still enjoy it um and it's yeah i think you basically you, you said you said the most important thing writing is a very important thing but i would say that what is the most important thing is a working plan, basically. Mm. So television writers often start with an overarching plan for the series, outlining major characters, how they met, how they interact. That's a great start, but viewers need a reason to tune in each week. You know, in addition to a season or a series-long arc, writers need to consider the format, the content of each episode, including conflict, cliffhangers, and mini-resolutions that are packed in you know 30 or 40 or 50 minute segments so i think having that plan of like yes there's an overarch but each episode needs to have a mini three act structure if that makes sense now are there exceptions though is there are there exceptions i'm trying to think right now see the thing is i think game of thrones is a very good and bad example of what you've just said mm -hmm. uh there are episodes that i like the red wedding does that is that a th would you say that's a three structured episode i would actually say that most game of thrones episodes even as individuals tend to have uh, a basic free act structure it may not have like each individual beat but it definitely has somewhat of a mm -hmm. setup somewhat of a rising act well it definitely has a rising action most of them tend to have a climax such as the red wedding the beginning of the episode is them going to the wedding that the rising action is when you start realizing like wait a minute there's a little sus shit going on wise true um true. what is his name wise bolton wearing armor underneath his thing climax <laughs> everyone's fucking dead and then conclusion Arya and the hound escape so yes i would say that there definitely is many you know uh resolutions per episode and many arcs within each episode but i think that's just one example i feel like there are definitely cases where you might not get a resolution but you might get a cliffhanger which technically counts as a resolution i would argue this is true this is true i mean going back slightly when you said overarching stories you know when uh -huh, you uh -huh. begin writing a show i think game of thrones is the perfect example of how wrong I was, gonna, go. I was gonna if, say why are you saying you don't perfect? do it <laughs> right right right. if you don't do it mm. now obviously i think um 
I think it's really important to mention that I think some of the best shows are the brainchild of one person or they're based off a series of complete novels. Now, mm. if Game mm-hmm. of Thrones, if George R. R. Martin had finished his series mm. of books, we would have had the ending. Mm. Well, I mean, it, he hasn't finished them yet, but we can assume the ending would have been better than that load of shit mm. we got. Mm. Now, there are other series such as Breaking Bad, and that was the brainchild of like Vince Gilligan. Mm-hmm. He had it all planned out. Mm. That's why it it's so good. Mm. That's why the ending I mean, feel like you're like, yes, it's earned. This makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think that's exactly the point I was trying to make with a working plan is, you know, mm. whenever anything is well planned, it tends to bang. It tends to slap. And you made the perfect example of Game of Thrones where at the beginning of the show, easily some of the best TV of all time. I would say season one to season four is god tier level that was honestly some of the best tv i've ever seen in my life um and then as they started going off script off the books is kind of when it started to struggle a little bit because obviously without you know clear planning now there's lots of Mm -hmm. speculation that george r R. martin gave them an ending and but nothing before the ending so lots of people speculate that it suffered because they had to reverse engineer from that ending. Mm. Now, either way, it just basically shows that they just didn't have that structure anymore. Um, another example would be, of course, another example that we've always made, the sequel trilogy of the Star Wars. I know it's not a TV show, but it's a perfect example of bad planning because it there is. was no plan. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? Let, to bring it into the TV world, I think perhaps one of the most famous examples bar game of thrones is lost lost now i don't know if you were a fan of mm-hmm. lost but the first few seasons were fucking are, slapping yeah and then you know this is classic jj abrams didn't know how to finish it because mm. he didn't plan it mm. and then we got the ridiculous convoluted ending that still pisses people off today mm. and it just goes to show the importance of just knowing exactly mm. where you're beginning exactly where your middle part is and mm. exactly where you're going to end it mm. i think dexter is another example of a poor ending that was very you know non well received um but you know as a counterpoint as a counterpoint what are some of the best examples of a well thought out and well executed plan um you know we rarely mentioned bland of brothers because obviously sopranos again breaking bad again uh i'm trying to think of other avatar the last airbender i would argue yeah. i mean we already covered Fargo season one like true um, detective season one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean like i think that's the thing if there is a clear kind of idea or you know vision by the writers from the get-go, or I mean, not necessarily from the get-go, but a brief idea from the get-go, that will obviously make it a lot better because it has a progression of story and a well-earned ending. Um, But going on, moving on, moving on, I think another very important thing, uh, a good segue, is when it comes to structure, there is the, the notion of predictability. Now, before I go into, you know, whether predictable is good or bad, I think like any great story, television shows, like I've said already, has a structure. 
Now, many shows let the stories unfold in, you know, four or five acts, beginning, middle, and end, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Episodes start with the introduction of a primary conflict, tension builds in the middle, blah, 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 blah and ends with a, resolu- a resolution, blah, 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 blah. And so that's like the, pre- that's what I mean by predictable, by like, you know that what you're going into with the setup, blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of like, you know, what I was saying before. Now, what I don't like is when they subvert expectations for the sake of subverting expectations. Like Game of Thrones. <laughs> like <laughs> There's a delicate balance. Exactly. It's a very delicate balance because, like, you know, I think it needs to be predictable in a way where it's familiar, basically. Not predictable, familiar. Where you're... You need to have like a structure where it makes sense. So I think predictability and making sense is important. You know, it needs to make sense that, ah, this is where it's come to. You know, this happened because this character did this in season one. That's what I mean by it's good predictability. So for example, mm-hmm. I keep this is my always go-to example because Game of Thrones has both the best and the worst <laughs> bits of TV history. So for example... The Starks. And first time watching, when Ned Stark got killed at the end of season one, I was like, what the fuck? And Red Wedding, I was like, what the fuck? But on rewatches, I've realized <laughs> that it was it was so, so obvious that it was going to happen. Their decisions, the way Ned Stark was always so honorable and refusing to play the game of Thrones, like when he straight up goes to Cersei being like, I know you, you know, were fucking your brother, but I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm going to let you walk away. And you're like, you're definitely going to die, bro. (laughs) So like, that's what I mean by it's good predictability because it sets it up and it makes sense. Now, bad Now, subverting expectations for the sake of subverting expectations, now that is what I call very bad writing. Because, for example, when Daenerys, you know how in like the final season, they killed off one of her dragons because, what? What was their explanation? Oh, they forgot that, that, um... Greyjoy had fucking, you know, shooting basilisks and shit. Was it? What's it called? Bastodons? Uh, what are those yeah, things called? Ba- I think they were bat. The- Whatever ba- those things call are called. Ba- basilisks. Whatever. D- yeah, you know, yeah. you know when they're like, oh yeah, um, she forgot about them. And you're kind of like, you just How? you just wanted to kill them. <laughs> and you just wanted to kind of give us a shock, but not earned. And another thing is another gripe that I had of Game of Thrones. Sorry, I'm going on this mad rat, but... I think, you know, it's a very, it's a very important thing. It's warranted. Um, is Daenerys' turn to evil. Now, I would argue that it is within reason, where it kind of makes sense and it was kind of going down that route anyway. Lots of fan theories were existing before, before the final season about that specific thing already for years. However, it was not developed enough and it almost got to the whole they were just trying to shock us for the sake of shocking us if they had spent two three seasons developing her turn to evil more make it more obvious then it would have felt earned then it would have been like ah that's why she's become evil but because that was all rammed into one final season it goes into that territory of let's shock them but not earn that shock Look at Last Jedi as well, 
making Luke a little bitch. Shock for the sake of shock. Snoke getting killed by Kylo. Shock for the sake of shock. I'm trying to think of other TV examples now. Can you think of any? Shock for the sake of shock factor. So this is this is a different one. Downton Abbey. Oh. When Matthew Crawley is killed. I haven't now, seen Downton Abbey. Okay, so well, spoiler there for <laughs> you. Essentially, like you spend so much time building up to liking this character. Mm-hmm. And he the second he's his, you know, he has a daughter. I think it's a daughter or a son. I haven't seen it in a while. Mm-hmm. He's killed in a car crash. It happens so suddenly. Okay. Like you know, the character Mary is finally happy. She's like kind of just like this super spoiled bitch in the, in the series. Right. She's finally happy. She loves this man. She has a child with him. And then he's killed. Okay. And you're literally there as a viewer. And this was the Christmas episode, mind you. <laughs> and you're just there like, what? <laughs> now, this is, this is where like, you know, real world circumstance will change the nature of a show because the actor was like, I'm leaving the show. Ah. So this is, this is... You know, this is slightly different, but you can't always help mm. having to kill off characters yeah. with shock, mm-hmm. of course, shock factors. Um, you know, sometimes people don't want to stay on, mm-hmm. which is bullshit. Because, you know, my Christmas was ruined when he got killed in a car crash. <laughs> to the point where loads of people on the BBC complained. They phoned in. They were like, right, <laughs> you've ruined my Christmas. You've killed my favorite character. Mm. And it's not the show writer's fault. I think sometimes it's, it's important to mention that sometimes... People want to leave shows mm-hmm. and their characters have to be written off quite quickly. I think in Lost, it happened to a few characters. I think in Game of Thrones, I don't, you know, to be fair, I don't think anyone in Game of Thrones left. I mean, I know the mountain was replaced. Yeah, they recast the a actor. few people here and there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but that can't be helped. I think you have to kind of like ignore that as mm-hmm. a viewer. Because at the end of the day, no, you don't see anyone bitching about War Machine being recast because that was actually positive. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, fair enough. Fair, fair enough about the Downton Abbey thing. And yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, an actor may have to leave, blah, blah. Um, but another shock that for me was very like, eh, where the fuck did this come from? <laughs> um, is in a show I know you haven't seen, but I adore Gilmore Girls, A Year in the Life. <sighs> so... The final scene of the new of the final season of uh, Gilmore Girls, the Netflix special, was Rory telling Lorelai that she was pregnant, and that legit came out of fucking nowhere. And that was the proposed ending from the very get go. So back to what we were saying before about a working plan, and you know, it's always good to have like a ending in mind at the very beginning, but sometimes it could also you know, be a little tricky, like how D&D had to reverse engineer George R. R. Martin's, you know, ending. But I think that's like a different topic altogether. But with Gilmore Girls, um, I think, you know, having the ending that parallels the beginning of Rory and Lorelai's story of, oh, it ends with a young girl being pregnant. But it just felt undeveloped. It felt very mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, by the way... <laughs> We're ending it like, you know, how it began is poetic, but you're kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> huh? Like, wh- wh- who? Who's the bo- who's the dad? Because, like, the entire season, with the entire, like, three, uh, I think four episodes of the specials, she's got a boyfriend, but 
he's not really there and you don't think that they have a physical relationship and it might be another guy but then it's never properly developed and it just felt very like oh by the way haha so you know sometimes i think you know having an idea from the very get-go can work but sometimes it may not work or you know you need to go the extra mile to make it worthy and earned so yeah i think shock for the for the you know the purpose of shock factor isn't the best thing um mm. i think um another i know <laughs> i know you like the show Miller! Miller! <laughs> <laughs> now this might be controversial but season two of broad church mm-hmm. that the whole second season almost makes the first season redundant because it goes back on itself and if you remember like the killer in season one joe miller is not it's not as simple as that and he's like there are other people involved and it kind right. of shits on the f- the first season ending like there, i think there are a lot of examples of shows i think especially detective shows that continue when they don't need to ah like they drag it out that's a good point that's a very good or point. they go back and ruin what the first season mm. did. that's another now, good thing yeah that's another very good point you were saying sorry no, no, it's, um, you know, there are lots of shows that are anthology shows like Black mm, Mirror mm. that works perfectly, you know, but the, the quality will vary. Mm. This Fargo, I adore season one and then, you know, season two and three are only okay. Mm. So True Detective, mm-hmm. that season one is one of the greatest shows of all time. Season two tries so hard to invoke season one vibes mm. that it ends up just being a parody. Mm. And then season three is amazing, but season two was so bad that it kind of, you know, mm. tramples on season three's hype. Mm. I think um, it goes to show the importance of like respecting your own show. Mm. And especially if other writers are brought in to extend good the life point. of the show. Good point. You know, uh, Doctor Who, I think is a good example. That show has been running for God, like over 50 years. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had so many different doctors and so many different writers and then you have Stephen Moffat, who was brought in, you know, who's famous for Sherlock, you know, and then we have Jodie Whittaker now. And it's just like the writing is all over the place. Right. I think and it's just one of those things. I think you've brought on a very, very important thing, which I feel like is the basis for every good TV show. Consistency. I expect consistency for each season now i think that's easier said than done because obviously Mm -hmm. there's no such thing as well maybe but no such thing as you know (laughs) having that perfect consistency of every episode bangs every season bangs there's definitely bad seasons of breaking uh, worse seasons of breaking bad (laughs) there we go Uh, bad seasons of game of thrones bad seasons of um you know uh, Ozark. Oh, I like Ozark, you know. I think Ozark oh, is pretty I, consistent. I, I adore it, but some some seasons drag. I think that, it's it's. You're right. You I, can't have a show that is consistently mm, ten out of ten. Mm, I think that's impossible. But you would expect at least. You know, I want the show to be. You know, at least a five out, uh, like an eight out of ten per episode. Mm. Now, the main thing here is. 
So I've noticed over the years that TV shows that keep me coming back all have that one thing in common, is that their characters are clearly defined and are never compromised for the sake of plot. That's the main point I'm trying to make, compromised for the sake of plot. Now, I think that is the worst thing I think cons- on the Exactly. I think consistency has a lot to do with that as well, mm-hmm. which is basically, in Lehman's terms, I don't like it when shows establish a character to have a specific skill set or a specific intellect or a specific knowledge and then suddenly forsake all of that for the sake of progressing the plot. For example, dumbing down someone. Okay, well, what's your example of Mandalorian? Bo-Katan. So... Bo-Katan, uh-huh. when she first meets him with the Mandalorian, uh-huh. is like, you can take that helmet off. It's okay. You don't need to follow the rules. A few episodes later, she's like, ah, oh, shit, I need to fight him now for the Darksaber. I won't accept ah, it. Ah, yes, like, yes, yes. It's decisions yes, yes. like this. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, you look at her in, like, Rebels. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of there like, excuse me? Yeah, Sabine did the same <laughs> like, thing. Yeah, legit. Yeah. And like, you know, there, there's lots of other examples. Like, uh, for me, one of the biggest, uh, most recent memories of this happening was in the Netflix show Jessica Jones, uh, which isn't actually that good a show, but I watched it anyway. But um, <laughs> lots of the plot involves them nerfing powers or dumbing down the characters when you're like you're telling me that this super powered human being is getting beat up or outsmarted by this person when two episodes ago they were solving crimes left right and center like that's what i don't like is when Mm. you know you get a established character of like all right this guy's sick and then suddenly two episodes later like ha he's gonna make a dumb dumb decision and you're like eh so here's the thing i think Human error and writing in flaws in characters is crucial. Like, it's part of good writing, is making the characters seem relatable as well. And, you know, in many ways, you want to be able to kind of, like, they can't be the perfect human being, because if they're perfect, then there's no point in the show, right? But Mm -hmm. I think there's a difference between making a mistake and making a... dumb mistake that was just impossible for them to make that mistake you know if they establish superman to be superman i can't be having him doing things in episode one and then in episode three suddenly he can't use his heat vision like suddenly he doesn't have that or they forget about that or something at worst (laughs) is if they find a way of like nerfing that within the plot be like Oh, yes. Uh, on this day... He has a cold. <laughs> he has a cold, so he got to use his heat vision. Like, there, okay, there's there's definitely instances where they're like, oh, he's in, for example, say, a red sun chamber. He can't use any of his powers. And you're like, all right, cool. But then when it's forced, when it feels very out of nowhere, like, oh, why does this guy have a red sun chamber all of a sudden? You'll be like, hmm. Uh, that's just an example. Um, but, you know... I hate it. I actually despise it when, you know... I think it's insulting. Exactly. It's ins- Exactly. Like, exactly. I think the worst thing a show can do is insult a viewer's intelligence. Facts. Facts. 100%. And, you know, like, I think um, this will depend on on the genre, I think, though, because, like, Seb and I kind of... I'm not really a comedy guy, mm-hmm, per se. Mm-hmm. Like, my comedy extent will go to, like, Blackadder and stuff. But even then, that's extremely intelligent comedy, mm-hmm. you know? Seb and I like to watch our dramas and our thrillers, which 
by nature you need to take seriously mm. and if i'm watching something and a character see this is like when you watch a horror show for example mm-hmm. and the character is being chased by the killer and instead of walking out to the open road where other people are they take a left down a deep dark alley mm. you're just there like no you fucking wouldn't mm. do that it doesn't matter how scared you are okay you'd never fucking do that's that. a very good point and a good segue i think uh we were kind of touching upon this before but Suspension of disbelief. Now, that obviously depends on genre a lot, for sure. There are certain things where you can allow it, blah, blah, blah. Now, suspension of disbelief is a very interesting topic. It's a very interesting thing where, you know, sometimes it's difficult for you to be like, oh, yeah, you know, if there, it's a show about Superman, like, you're going to be like, all right, it's fucking Superman. He can do fucking anything, right? But I think when it comes to something like a horror Anything set in the real world that has established grounded rules, the most important thing is to stick to those rules, basically. In order to spend to, to in order to suspend your disbelief, you need to set up rules that need to be respected and followed. If you establish that this guy can't do this thing, you cannot have him suddenly be able to do this thing without a Duex Machina or something. Or you can't have this guy established to be not smart enough to outsmart Sherlock, and then suddenly be like, ha ha, I outsmarted Sherlock. Um, But yeah, when it comes to horror movies especially, I think suspension of disbelief is a thing that's very difficult to tackle when it comes to horror, because it's so easy to be like, there's no way. But the thing is, writers don't make it, you know, that much... You know, they're, they're not helping themselves by making characters so stupid and so asinine where they're kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do the most obviously, you know, most obvious death <laughs> route that will lead to my death. And uh, yeah, I agree. I hate it when that happens. I hate it when, you know, they, they write in a character that's just there to basically be fodder. Lamb to slaughter, yeah. I hate that. Yeah, exactly. It's the worst thing in the world. And to be fair, when, like, when you think about it, in, in terms of horror shows, mm-hmm. can you really name that many that are actually good? Nope. <laughs> like, Penny Dreadful comes to mind, but I would debate that's uh, true through horror. That's like a more of a thriller. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at Netflix's Scream, mm. that is insulting mm. to watch as a Scream fan because... Obviously, like, you know, we all know what Scream is. We mm-hmm. all, like, it's it's literally turning the horror genre on its head. But then you watch the TV show, and they continue to try and turn the genre on its head. But they do it to the point where you're like, this is just predictable now. Like, you're just there like, stop. You, you, you know, if you try to do something too hard, it very, 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 very easily comes across as disingenuine. Mm. And therefore, as an audience member, I am insulted. Mm. Because I'm just sitting there like, look... I know you're trying to be all cool and edgy mm. or, you know, or you're purposely trying to emulate a, you know, a famous film, for example, or a director's style, say, you know, a horror director is like, I'm going to make a horror show that is very reminiscent of James Wan's horror. Mm. You'd watch it and you'd be like, this is just mm. not original. Mm. James, this is James Wan. So I think originality is the point I'm trying to make, and it's something think, that's quite important. I think originality, though, 
can be a debatable thing that makes a show good or not. I think there are loads of shows that are basically the same story with a different skin. I think originality is a very difficult thing in mm-hmm. movies, TV shows, and art in general because it kind of goes down to the whole argument of is a thing ever that original anymore? Um, it's like similar to what um, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Mark Zuckerberg in the Social Network said, where you know. If a guy makes a chair, like a guy makes a chair, you can't sue another guy for making another chair, but you know, painting it differently or whatever, blah blah blah, something like that. Something along those lines. It's it's more like a, you know, if it's a hero's journey, like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, they're all basically the same story. Star Wars, it's all you know, they're all the similar story of one guy, the chosen one, needs to fucking mm-hmm. save the day. And you, there's so many shows that follow that formula. I mean, you can look at sitcoms as well. I think there is lots of overlap. Detective shows as well, lots of overlap. Um, you know, Sherlock, you, House, yeah. Monk, Poirot is the same fucking guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> like legit, it is the same fucking guy. They all have their own, you know, unique little like habits and shit and blah, blah, blah. But in many ways, they are the same story. So I think originality itself is quite a difficult thing. I think what makes a show unique is basically how they spin that formula. Um, So, you know, Gilmore Girls, Friends, Community, 30 Rock, um, you know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they're all basically the same premise, but it's the setting and it's the characters that make it different. And even though there are lots of character tropes that overlap, it's, you know, how they write the individual characters and shit, blah, 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 that make it interesting. So I think originality itself isn't necessarily the most important thing for me, at least, because I feel like Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you've seen one story you could arguably say it's the same fucking story over and over again it's true i mean it's kind of like the debate between you know based on versus inspired by mm-hmm. true true yeah I, I think um for me i would say originality is kind of like i, I would kind of blend that together with uniqueness mm-hmm. i i agree that pretty much 99 percent of everything we see nowadays is based on or inspired by something else mm-hmm. and is channeling another thing. Mm-hmm. And I do agree that it needs to spin it on its head enough mm-hmm. for me to even engage in it. Like you said, when you think of medical shows, especially, right? Oh, in yeah. my opinion, everything is based off house oh, yeah. or Grey's ER. Anatomy yeah. or ER. Mm. Everything. And to be fair, when it comes to medical shows, those are like the only three I'll probably ever. Mate, house, oh, wins. Sorry. house wins. House wins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great. House is be- house is the only one that matters. It's because it's legit Sherlock Holmes with in in a hospital. That's why it's lit. <laughs> it's Sherlock <laughs> in a hospital. But um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think. See, the thing is, right? This is why I really liked. Game of Thrones in the very beginning is because, yes, it's a story that's been told a million kafillion times. It's the same fantasy fucking story and shit, but they had balls 
You know, they, you know, were killing off, okay, maybe this is more credit to George R. R. Martin, but, you know, they were killing off main characters, there were like, you know, big events and twists, even though the twists are well-earned and developed and foreshadowed, well, for the early seasons at least. So, you know, that's why I loved Game of Thrones so much, is because it may not be the most original, but it had the cojones to, you know, and, you know, a unique way of telling those those tropes that we know and using the tropes that we know to you know spin it on its head um and i think that's great so yeah i feel like you know you can definitely have i think it's a very difficult thing to have a truly original show like is there really a show that's really like completely new concept mm. i mean okay I'm going to you know, contradict myself and just outright say some of the best shows are based on literature, real-life events, or continuations or reimagining of films. Like, I'm just going to outright say that. Band of Brothers, one of the greatest shows of all time, is based on real life. You've got other shows like Preacher, which is based off a comic series. You've got, you know, the popularity of the recent the boys series that's based off a comic mm -hmm. it's it's i yeah, genuinely well, think now that i think about there's it there's definitely like, other examples of you know of course uh -oh. you've got fargo which is based off the film mm -hmm. yeah, i mean there's, there's definitely there's definitely there's definitely lots of examples of shows that didn't ha that were original shows that weren't adapted that are still fucking amazing oh of course i mean sopranos there we go exactly <laughs> like sopranos <laughs> Breaking bad avatar the last airbender um so but yeah that's a good point that's a fair point and yeah i think again that's because there's a working plan it's back to the mm. original thing we were saying because if you're adapting you're kind of halfway there well like 80 percent there you might have to flesh out a few more things and add a few more characters and story arcs but the bare bones is there, and that's the most important thing to have is that bare bones. So I'm pretty sure we can just we can just end the episode right now just by saying <laughs> it's all about that plan. There you it's go. True, that's though. what it makes a good TV show. I think everything else is circumstantial. I think another thing which kind of goes along with what I was saying before about the suspension of disbelief thing is believable dialogue. I think great dialogue is a vital mm. component of any good TV show fact comedies all of that comedies you know obviously depend <laughs> on dialogue and everything and delivery. Or physical comedy you know of course Monty python for example mm -hmm. and but but yeah like i was saying the dialogue is the primary vehicle for telling mm. any story right successful mm -hmm. dialogue is believable it fits the character reflects the way people communicate in the real world and it also leaves room for subtext and lets the actors communicate non-verbally now, you know, what I don't like, and I feel like every show, every story Under the Sun suffers from is exposition dumps. I think that's inevitable. There's always going to be, you know, one guy that, like, for example, say, you know, your, your siblings in a TV show, and they're like, hi, sister. Hello, brother. It's been a while. <laughs> and you're like, no one fucking talks like that, but okay. <laughs> or like, you know, we're like, do you remember when mom had that fall 17 years ago? And you're like, um, I don't think people would bring up that topic like that, but okay. Okay, we get it. They're it sounds like you're speaking of a of a modern day parody of a show from the 60s. <laughs> it actually sounds like you are 
narrating a parody of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> right? But, le- but legit, <laughs> legit. Like, you know, that's, I really don't like it when dialogue just seems very unbelievable and very forced. Like, you're kind of like in mm. a situation where you're like, why are you telling me? You're only telling me this so that the audience would know this. Like, it's like reminding a character what happened to them for, like, last season. And you're kind of like, pretty sure he was there last season. <laughs> pretty sure he was there when, whatchamacallit, was torturing him. <laughs> you don't need to remind him. Do you remember that time when he was ca- torturing you for four days and four nights? He was like, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> How so, yeah. could I forget? So, yeah, I think believable dialogue is so, so important. Mm. But I think that's a given as well. I think conflict... You know, every TV show needs conflict, starting with differences between values, interests, needs of characters, internal conflict as well, as they struggle with the consequences of their actions. Uh, Because conflict sets the stage for plot and hooks the viewers so that they want to watch more. Again, now there could be different caveats. There could be different, you know, factors, variables, depending on on the genre. But I feel like every show needs to have conflict. Every comedy has a conflict. You know, um, for example, uh, say, yeah, Gilmore Girls. Oh, no, Luke is cheating on me. Boom, conflict. Game of Thrones. Daenerys fucking burned this whole village. Conflict. You know, you need to have conflict. It begins everything. So, yes, I think conflict is important. Um, That's pretty much, like, my main things about what makes a good TV show to be. You need to have conflict. You need to have good structure. Good characters, a working plan. What else? Consistency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Consistency. I think something that is important, but def- okay, I'm going to say acting. Oh yeah, well, believable okay. acting, Duh. Duh. Which, which is a gi- which is a given, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to think of shows that have great scripts, but not the greatest cast. Ooh. And I actually can't think of it. Uh, that, 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 <laughs> might, that might be an interesting that might be an interesting thought, actually. Let me think. Let me think. A good script, but very poorly executed. Ah, oh, the thing. Do you know sure, what? Do you know I'm what? Sure. I know for a fact, on a random day, we could easily just be like, hey, yo, bro, that was like so miscast. But right now, on the spot, you're kind of like, <laughs> do you remember how bad this person was in this show? Uh, I'm trying to think, though. I'm trying to think. There's definitely, like, some miscasts in some show. Mm. Hmm. You know, and and the second that the acting... Uh, see, this, that's the thing, man. It's, it's such a difficult one. It's like I said, Seb, this is like Seb and I having a casual conversation. So when we put each other on the spot, it's fucking stressful. Mm. I mean, the, know, the, the, thing, the thing is, yeah, the thing is, yeah, anyone and everyone would know this to be a fact. Like, there are so many cases where you're kind of like, if they had a better actor doing this scene, it would have slapped. Yeah, it would resonate. You know, it w- and, you know, sometimes it's a matter of, like, maybe the character just didn't... Ah! Uh, it's not really a TV show, though. But, for example, right, um, The Witches, the new Witches movie, and Anne Hathaway as the Grand High Witch is probably one of the worst casting decisions ever. Because, especially following up on Angelica Houston's amazing performance in the original film, where she had presence, she was badass, she was formidable, she looked amazing, but also looked threatening. Whereas Anne Hathaway, beautiful human being, and she's quite a capable actor, she's proven it to be so, but she doesn't have that presence. And 
you know, you can give her formidable lines like I will kill you. But Angelica Houston will say it in a way you're like, oh shit, she's going to fucking kill me. And then Anne Hathaway says it and you're like, lol, fuck off. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> Go home. But yeah, that exactly that. Exactly that. That's the first thing that comes to mind is legit like sometimes you could have the um, an amazingly developed or written character, but just not the right cast. And sometimes they might cast it for just star power. Look at Cara Delevingne and Hat and all the shit that she's in, you know, when, and you're like, ah, you know, if we're talking about Valyrian, I think Dane DeHaan, I love Dane DeHaan. I think he's a great actor. Um, however, he, him, he is not Valyrian. Like Valyrian in the comics is suave, is cool. He's more of a, you know, Captain Kirk, more of a, I, if, if I had to cast a, Dane, uh, a Valyrian, I would probably choose someone like, you know, Taron Egerton, like Eggsy from um, Watchmen, you know? He's got like that charisma, he's cheeky, mm. you know, he's got that banter. Whereas Dane DeHaan was like really cool looking, but you're kind of like, mm, I'm not sure about that, dude. Or like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. He's a great Spider-Man, but a pretty crap Peter Parker. <laughs> He's way too good looking He's for Peter Parker. He's way too good looking for Peter Parker. I mean, to be fair, in defense of Cara Delevingne, who I've like literally just smashed a billion times. That actually, that's, that, that's not the right phrase. <laughs> Lord, we wish. <laughs> that's like the worst phrase. I wish. <laughs> Sorry. Who I have who I have trashed mm-hmm. many times because her acting is terrible. Mm-hmm. I have to say, one of my fa- one of my more surprising shows that I've actually resonated with is Carnival Row. Oh, I like Carnival and Row, you know. She's actually like, I actually really like Carnival yeah, Row. Yeah, she can actually act in that. And she has an Irish accent, which I actually is really shocking. like Carnival Row, actually. Okay, okay. Do you know what? Orlando but Bloom. I think I, you know what? That's actually a great example. That's actually a perfect example of the point I was making. She's not a great actress, but the script of Carnival Row okay. is strong enough okay. that I That's can a good ignore point. how point. bad she That's is a good point. with an Irish accent mm-hmm. that, that it's fine. Do you know what? I think that show highlighted how shit of an actor I think Orlando Bloom is, more so than Cara Delevingne. Let's be <laughs> real, yeah. Orlando Bloom is a good-looking guy. That's it. I honestly don't think that guy can act for shit. Like, he's genuinely the... S- Will Turner... Fucking Paris and Troy. Now this guy, he's legit just a good-looking Donny. I don't think he can act for shit. He's, uh, I don't know. Legolas, though. <laughs> Same thing with Legolas. He just looks good, and he's just there like, what are your elf eyes see? <laughs> They're taking the hobbits to Isengard! That's it. <laughs> That's the only emotion he ever fucking shows, basically. <laughs> You know, yeah, you know what? You've got a point. Thanks for ruining Orlando Bloom for me, man. <laughs> but no, I think Jesus. like um yeah, I think Carnival Row is actually quite a surprising show. I think it's not bad. Um it's not bad, it's not bad indeed. I think another thing is sometimes an actor can really carry a show. I think sometimes mm. having a really good actor can definitely carry a show um and really elevate its kind of production value. Um, I think, for example, um, oh, a take a Lupin, the new oh, Netflix I haven't seen show. It. I haven't seen it. I've seen a couple episodes, and I got to say, it is so bog standard. But Omar Sy is so charismatic. He's so charming. 
he's such a great actor that it just lifts everything. Okay. It makes it good. Okay. Ah, fair play, fair play. It, but but I, you know, you could argue. Does that make it a good show, though? Yeah, maybe. Because if anything, it just proves yeah, that maybe, he's a good actor. Yeah, true, true. I mean, another example I would give would probably be Zendaya in Euphoria. Um, I think now, don't get me wrong. If you guys have subscribed to our YouTube channel, which if you haven't, you should. Uh, I did a video essay on Euphoria and why I think it's genius. So I definitely think it's a good show, but. I think a lot of it also has to do with the amazing acting ability of Zendaya. Um, now, Hunter Schaefer's new episode came out as well, and it's proven that she's equally as capable as Zendaya. So I think the cast for Euphoria, each one is so perfectly cast, and they're very, very capable actors. It definitely helps elevate the show, because I feel like... They might have a flashy visuals. They might have a really good story. But if they had shit actors, that show would be dead. So definitely actors can make or break and elevate for sure. Um, you know, Friends. That's all friends, I have to say. Exactly. Friends is, I think, the probably the perfect example of this point. Disagree. There's only one. Okay. The Band of Brothers. Every fucking actor Ugh. in Band of Brothers is so Oof. perfectly well cast. Oof. It is the perfect Oof. ensemble cast of all time. <laughs> of all fucking time. I, I think, um, <laughs> yeah, that show is perfect in every way. But I think the script of that show is so solid that, yeah, yeah you know, fair, okay. play, fair play. But I don't want to say it. But you know what I but mean. You also, but at the same time, you could have like the best of scripts. But I don't know. You, you said this in a previous point. You could have a really good script and that can help a poor performance. But having a good script and the perfect cast blows everything out of the water. Oh, I think look at 100%. early, like the first two seasons of Sherlock as well. You know, Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. They nailed that mm. chemistry. They nailed that casting. You know, that's perfect casting as well. And look at now, obviously, yeah. there might be a little bit of kind of hindsight coming into play, but looking at the cast of Lord of the Rings as well, can you even imagine anyone else playing those characters? Harrison no. Ford as Indiana <laughs> Jones as well. Like, you know, there's certain roles... That, yes, the script is perfect, but the casting is so nailed. They're kind of like, yeah, nah, you're that character. You're him. Um, Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Rowan Bean. Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean. And then, you know, again, I'm not the biggest fan of his acting abilities, but you have to say he is that character because he is that guy. Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., same fucking guy in real life and in the movies. Mm. So it is, in many ways, perfect casting. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it applies to everything. It applies to TV shows as well, where you can have a really poor script and the acting can elevate it for sure. You can have a bog standard script and poor acting and it will be like, eh. you know, it, it's like symbiotic relationship for sure. It's a very symbiotic relationship. Um, I think vision, like, okay. You know, to to maybe round this up a little bit, we've really gone into the story. We've really gone into the structure, characters, you know, predictability, plot twists. They have to be earned, dialogue, all of that shit, which is fair enough. Um, why don't we change it up a little bit 
And I know you briefly talked about this production value. I think that's very, I think that's quite important. Um, I think the visuals of a show, how a show looks, the art direction can also make or break a show. Um, for example, Black Mirror. Black Mirror's production oh. value is what makes it so good, in my opinion. <laughs> yes, the script is per- yeah. the scripts are insane. Like 100% the scripts are insane. The cast is often perfect as well. Some missteps here are along the way. But the production value is honestly fucking mad. Like some of the... Oh my god. Band of Brothers. That was basically a fucking big ass movie per episode. <laughs> you know, like production value does make or break a show. I think Carnival Row had pretty good you know, production value that did help. It did. I mean, most HBO shows have great production value, TBH. It's fucking HBO. Uh, I mean, HBO is a stamp of quality. Mm. End of story. Mm. Um, I No, I completely agree. And I also think that if you don't have that production value, it ages a show and mm. it hinders its rewatchability. Mm, true, true. Now, like, for example, um, Only Fools and Horses. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite shows of all time, but low budget british sitcom mm. when you re-watch it you feel i think it. that's the like thing you watch it you're like damn mm. i think that's the thing with most comedies though is that obviously they get a lot less budget a lot less production value sitcoms usually you know multi-cam vibes one like you know one set whatever blah blah um but I th- live audience i think yeah. it kind of goes with the genre where like it's kind of a thing where like you know what fair enough you know it's it's acceptable um but I think with like mm. more serious shows, more dramas and whatnot, production value is definitely key. I mean, look at Downton Abbey, look at um, Man in the High Castle. You know, some of the characters aren't the best writing. Uh, the writing <laughs> at, at times at is best. Man in the High Castle has amazing writing, but at, at its worst, it's pretty shit. But one, what you mean is, at its best, it has good writing. At its worst, it has Juliana. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like <laughs> you know, and and her boyfriend, I fucking hated Frank. Oh my god. But one thing they did have was production value. They made it look good, especially mm. in the later seasons, where season one, establishing that post World War Two Axis winning world, was already good. But season two, three, four. They started going nuts with the budget. You got aircraft carriers and shit. You're like, whoa, this show looks good. So I think <laughs> making a thing look good, eye candy can definitely get you, you know, to a certain point. It can definitely boost the show. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, I think it's especially important in period shows oh, like yeah. Boardwalk Empire. Mm. One of my favorite shows ever. It, it just makes everything so much better more believable mm. you as the viewer are sucked into suspension that world. of disbelief it's like carnival row mm. exactly carnival row's got fairies and shit mm. but, but they make it the production value is good mm. they make it and you believe exactly it. it's the whole star wars it's the whole movie sci-fi thing of making it believable sci-fi does make that much of a difference again suspension of disbelief for sure but like look at mandalorian Again, we might we might have our gripes with certain moments of the show, but one thing I don't think anyone has ever, ever dissed is the production value and how it looks. I think, you know, almost every episode 
looked insane. The technology that they had, the CG mm -hmm. was often amazing. I keep on thinking about the crate dragon in episode one and how amazing that looked. They're just pushing boundaries with that shit. And then you have the example of Luke's face looking stiff as shit and you're like, mm. yeah. But I think with with that, that's always going to be like, you know, de-aging is still like a too tricky a thing. I think even the big time mm. movies struggle with that. Yeah, so we course. allow that. We allow that. Uh, you, you know what? This just came to my mind. The Wire. Mm. Right? This is the opposite, though. Even though it was a huge production value, mm -hmm. it's all filmed on the streets. And in the context of the show, it's perfect. Exactly. You nailed it right there. Context. I think that is exactly it. Is, and it kind of goes with the whole, again, the believability of everything. But by setting a show about, you know, streets, about like living on the streets, about drugs, blah, 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 blah. You need it to be grounded and re within that realm. You know, you can't be having a beautiful, pristine environment about something as gritty or real as, say, something that they're talking about in The Wire. Now, an interesting counterpoint to that would be an example that I've always given, Euphoria, and how they have very flashy, beautiful imagery to kind of tell a very grueling dark story they have that juxtaposition but that's exactly what i mean by like kind of subverting the expectations but in a good way of presenting a sad story with beautiful imagery also works so like we said at the very beginning of the episode there are definitely exceptions uh but that being said it's not like euphoria was making everything look pretty and unbelievable it was pretty but believable so it kind of goes back to what we were saying about, again, Blade Runner looks beautiful, but it looks worn down. It looks, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then if, if we're talking about TV shows, then yes, Altered Carbon, but it's a fucking shit show. I hate that show. <laughs> um, but, you know, look at Black Mirror. Look at Mandalorian. It's got that whole kind of lived-in believable world that can be quite ugly at times. Uh, Stranger Things as well, I think... Um, Again, sometimes the writing may not be perfect. The cast, though, amazing. And we often bash child actors. I think they're fucking good. I think they're really, really good. They have moments of like, eh, but most of the time, oh, I agree. they're really, really good. And the other thing is production value. Again, it, I'll, I'll allow it. Exactly. They're fucking kids. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's, it's important. You believe it. You believe the shows mm. in the 80s, which I think is actually a great segue of something I've been meaning to, to say. And... To me, this is personal. Something that I think is really important for a good show is its soundtrack. Ooh, facts. Facts. Now, I think that if a show doesn't have a memorable theme, mm. is it a good show? It's, yeah, 100%. I think, like, again, again, there are, you know, exceptions for sure. There are definitely exactly. exceptions. However, 99.9% .9 of the time, a good show has a good theme now you can obviously argue that maybe you think it's a good theme because it's a good show and i actually had a conversation and a debate with my flatmates who were both musicians and they said the game of thrones theme isn't actually that good it's <gasps> it's the it's the memory and the attachment of like with your emotions of how good that show was that makes the theme better because they were like when you break it down it's really simple and shit and i was like I see what your point is. You're fucking wrong because it's a fucking banger. I think um I think that's an interesting point. 
and here's what what I'm going to say because I know you and I know me. Mm. We both like classical music mm-hmm. and we both like sound like film soundtrack mm-hmm. and by film soundtrack I mean original scores. Mm-hmm. So I think I can see where they're coming from. Mm. I can definitely for see it. Yep. other people for the casual music listener. Mm-hmm. But I think in the case of us, mm. because we're fucking weird, mm. we like classical music. Mm. We like film scores. Mm. I mean, we've lived together. Whenever I walked into your room, you are either listening to the 1975, <laughs> that one song, <laughs> somebody else, uh-huh. or you'd be listening to some kind of, you know, you'd film be soundtrack. listening to Michael Gambino, yep. or you'd be listening to Howard Shore. Hans Zimmer. So it's always Hans Zimmer. I can, I can see, yeah, I can see where they're coming mm. from, but I strongly debate mm. it purely because... They're wrong. Mm. <laughs> and and yeah, like, you know, when you really think about it, like for me right now, one of the best theme songs or the most memorable ones is the Mandalorian theme song. I think it's an amazing theme. Band of Brothers has an amazing theme. Um, you know, even Black Mirror's little like, that's memorable as fuck. Um and you know, whenever I think of Sopranos, all I hear is "Catch yourself." Exactly. <laughs> and, and to be fair, that theme is actually not actually that great. Mm. It just annoys me uh, now. So <laughs> I I definitely agree that I feel like music does help so so much. And because I feel uh, we're probably going to do a, a a video essay on this in the future on the significance and the importance of a good score, but I feel like. It's because this, usually a good score is able to capture the mood and the tone of the show itself. And, and it becomes a character almost, like a part of the show. And, you know, with Game of Thrones, for example, which in my opinion is probably most iconic theme songs of all time now, it's got that epicness. It's a fantasy show. It's an epic fantasy. It makes you like... Fuck yeah! I think um I think a really good way of of putting this is a TV show is like an onion. Now <laughs> it's got layers. <laughs> it's got layers. It's got layers. I'm I'm, I'm shrinking it. But you know, you stink. <laughs> I think it's I think it's perfect because all of these layers need to be in perfect cohesion mm. to make a good show. Mm. Yes, you can have an amazing script, but. You need competent actors. You need competent directors to elevate that script and do it justice. You need good soundtrack to add layer, texture, Mm. uh, tension, emotion into each scene. Mm. Or a lack of Mm. soundtrack, because not all shows have soundtrack. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You need all of these things. You need a good plot. You need a good story. You need believable characters. I think a show is so many things put together. Yes, we've established that you need a few basic articles before you can even say a show is good. Mm-hmm. But I would go one step further and say that you need all of these things in perfect balance. Oh yeah, for sure. I think it's Now some things, as we've kind of said, some things can be out of balance, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like if if a script is amazing and the acting is only okay, the script mm. will elevate the acting. Mm. And if it's the other way around, mm. like like I said, Lupin with Omar, the script is okay, but his acting is so good it elevates everything else. For sure, I think yeah, it, it's you know it's a symbiotic relationship. I've already thrown this phrase in a couple of times, but it's very true. And yeah, you're right. I feel like you know, it's a mixture of all those components for sure. 
Um, another example that I just remembered of having really good production value, but everything else was kind of meh, is the Apple TV series C. Uh, I think it looks incredible. I think the acting is pretty good, but everything else is kind of meh. So it it does hinder and it does, you know, show that you need to have all the other elements. It's a combination of elements. But to end it off, to end it off, um, let's go quickly, you know, remind ourselves what we need in a show. A working plan. Good characters. Interesting plot. A good structure in terms of predictability. If you know what I mean, we've explained that. Um, conflict, believable dialogue, um, not compromising the character's skill sets or intelligence, respect, respect for the respect audience, respect for the audience, exactly. Uh, production value, good acting. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's pretty that's much pretty it. Much, I mean. It doesn't sound like it's a lot to ask for. I mean, but... that is quite a lot. <laughs> that is. I mean, okay. You know, we've mentioned this before in, in past episodes where Netflix pump shows out. Mm. For every hundred shows they do, they probably put out one show that is decent. Mm. Stranger Things is a good example of that. I think, it, it. you know, we always touch upon this. Nowadays, everyone is consuming so much and everyone is just remaking things, rehashing things. Mm. It is kind of hard to to get all of these things together mm. and make something that is competent. There are aren't really many examples nowadays, I would debate, of shows that truly are on the level of something like The Wire, something like season one of True Detective, all right, all right. Sopranos. Why don't we end this episode? I know we've already had a previous episode, but is there an updated list, quick fire, best oh. TV shows of all time that have at least... Eight sixty to seventy percent of the previous qualities that we that we say Kimochi. are needed. All right, right. So start it off. Me, euphoria, euphoria, hundred yeah, fucking percent, <laughs> mate. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say Boardwalk Empire. Okay, um, Black Mirror, Downton Abbey, House, Fargo season one. Well, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. You can't be like, nah, season one is a great <laughs> show. We're talking about uh, you see. all time. We need, uh, we need to look at yeah, the but full that, picture. Okay, that's difficult, though, because True Detective season one, I shit you not, is one of the greatest okay, seasons Okay, okay, do you know what? I allow it because Game of Thrones season one to four is yeah, season see, five. Okay, you know what? Fair enough. I allow it. I allow it. I allow it. Fair, fair, fair. Okay. Uh, okay. Ooh, 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 ooh. Um, shit! I usually have like ten million. Uh, Mad Men. Uh, yeah, I, I Mad, Men. Mad, Mad Men. Mad Men. Mad Men. Mad Men. Hundred percent. Mad Men. All right. Band of Brothers. Band of Brothers. Um, Steal from you. Band of Brothers. Fair play. Fair play. Uh. 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 uh <laughs> I'm struggling. I'm on the spot. I have no script to go. Avatar: The Last Airbender. You didn't say breaking. Ah, there you go. Breaking Bad. Um, actually, another. You know how earlier you said. I know. Sorry to go on a tangent. Um, earlier you said how sometimes shows need to know when to end. I feel like Legend of Korra, even though one season of it was really good, kind of degraded the quality of the Avatar series 
TBH. But anyway. Oh, dude. 100% anywho, agree. Anywho. Anywho. Um, I would probably say Hercule Prao. <laughs> oh, that's a fair point. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say. See, okay. Here, we're going to get a little animated here. Cowboy Bebop. Oh, what the? <laughs> holy shit. Um, do you know what? I feel Batman like animated series. <laughs> yeah, Batman the animated Batman the animated <laughs> series, Batman Beyond, you know, all of that. That's given. That's given. Justice League. Justice, Justice League. League exactly. Yeah, 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 I would yeah. say, I would say, and I know I might get some flack for this, but I think season one to five of twenty-four was fucking lit. It slapped. Okay. It slapped back in the day. Uh-oh. Although I'll, I'll take, I'll I might, take I might have to rewatch play. it. It might be shit, <laughs> but when I was a kid, I watched it. It was the <laughs> like, shit. <laughs> Ooh, I've like, got. I can't few. even remember watching it. Like I was more just about watching Shield. Just fucking Jack. Was, like, just Jack Bauer. Just surviving nuclear blast, man. <laughs> and him saying, "Damn." <laughs> um, yeah, Peaky. I mean, Peaky Blinders. You mentioned Jack. Samurai Jack. Samurai Jack, exactly. Do you know what? Okay, everyone knows there's loads of examples of good TV shows of all time. Of course, at the end of the day, it's all subjective. It's all up to you. It's all down to your opinion. But I feel like we've pretty much covered what we think is needed for a show to be at least good. You know, it may not necessarily be great, but for a show to be good, you need to have at least 60 to 70% of what we just talked about. Um, easier said than done and as someone who's trying to produce and make his own story you know I'm trying to you know live up to that requirement as well but we'll see but um, yeah uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this you know a lot more candid and impromptu episode as you can see without a script (laughs) we you know we may have struggled finding examples a little bit but I think that was a good I think that was a good convo I, I got to say, this is a lot easier mm. in a way. Yeah, it was fun. Prepping a script. It, it's it's a lot more loose. This is, you are kind of hearing exactly how Seb and I would just address each other mm. casually. Mm. You know, like, as you know, like, we're fucking nerds. We're geeks. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like what we live and breathe mm-hmm. in. Like, Seb's creative. I'm a creative in my own way. Like, you know, this is what we do. Mm. But if you like this stuff, like, uh, I suppose, head over to our Instagram, mm. meanwhile.podcast. And drop us an inbox and like let us know if you liked yeah. it because unfortunately on Spotify there's no inbox message. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean if you like our, if you like this kind of content and you want something more scripted, we got YouTube. Head over to Meanwhile Podcast. Seb does a really good video on why Euphoria is great. I don't think it is, but okay. Oh fuck <laughs> off, mate! You were like, oh that sounds pretty good. Suck your mom. It's a great uh, show. I watched I watched an episode and I just I just didn't care. But he also does an amazing video on Blade Runner, and I agree with it because Blade Runner is one of the best things that's ever been put to film. I do some Korean shit. I do some other stuff because I'm a weeb. Even I like how you dissed mine, and I haven't dissed a single of yours. Fuck you. I haven't. I I I I said your video was good. Excuse me. Yeah, but you just anyway. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. As always, I've been your boy Seb. And I've been Marcus. I hope you've enjoyed our rambling. Peace.